church for a little over eight years. So um, I do know some families like the Hall family, like they're some of my best people. Um, love them dearly. I actually had to write a whole new sermon because I'm like, they've heard everything I've ever taught. So I literally was like, I can just go back to one of old faithfuls, but I'm like, dang it, the halls are going to be there. They've heard everything like a dozen times. So, um, so yeah, so a little bit about my testimony. I grew up in the church, the ranch chapel, which Crooked River Ranch down in the canyon. That is where I was little all the way up through high school. Um, walked away from God during college, um, and then right as I was finishing paramedic school, I was a firefighter paramedic, uh, pretty dark place in my life, and I knew that um, I needed to get back with Jesus. Like at the lowest of lows in my life, I remembered what a middle school youth pastor told me, and they said, Matt, wherever you're at, no matter what you've done, God wants a relationship with you. So a guy in my paramedic class was like, Matt, I know you grew up in the church, I know you want to start following Jesus. He's like, I'm going to start mentoring you. So mentorship has been huge in my life. I've had a lot of great mentors. And um, he started pushing me to follow Christ. And we started doing Bible studies in between our, you know, our in-class hours and our lab hours and our station hours. And um, at that point, I was like, well, I'm going to go serve at a camp this summer. My sister serves at Camp Morrow. I'm going to go serve at a camp. So I called the camp director, and I knew how to speak Bible which people, like, if you know how to speak Bible, you can make yourself sound way better than you actually are. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to go find myself a girlfriend at camp. So I get in there, and I had no right being a camp counselor, like none at all. I get there, and I'm an assistant cabin leader to this guy that I used to bully in high school. So I'm just like, oh, man. I'm like, get in there, and he's my boss. And so, yeah, it was real. And so I'm sitting there, and... You know, like I said, no right to actually be helping teenagers, like, at all. And I start listening, and this sermon series is on the life of David. And so a few nights in, it's actually my 21st birthday, June 28, 2010, he's talking about David. And everything that David had done and was still called a man after God's own heart. And so I'm sitting in the back, and I, like, remember, and actually tonight I'm headed up to Camp Morrow after this to speak for a week. And I still remember the place in the chapel, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, if God can restore David, God can restore me. And so June 28, 2010, I rededicated my life to Christ, and, um, you know, praise God, you know, I'm still following him faithfully. And there was a group of people at that camp that um, were from this little tiny Bible school in Cannon Beach called Ecola, and they're like, hey, Matt, you should go to Ecola. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm a firefighter paramedic. Why would I ever want to go to some little Bible school in Cannon Beach? But then I'm like, well, if you're going to follow God faithfully, if you're going to follow God with everything you are, give him a year. And so I said, God, I'll give you a year of my life. Yeah, I know. And so I'm like, God, I'll give you a year of my life. So I end up going to this little tiny Bible school, like 160 kids for the two-year like, course, like tiny and I get there, and um, it was life-changing. It was one of those deals where I stepped out in faith and said, okay, God, I'll give you a year. What can we do? And so there's a teacher, and he's like, hey, how many of you guys want to be pastors? And like, I would say 50, 60% of the guys, their hands raised, and I sat on mine. I'm like, that sounds like the most terrible thing on the planet. I was like, why would anyone else want to go become a pastor? So I finished with E. Cola, and next thing I know, 
I meet a guy named James Dick and another guy named Curtis Tucker. And they start mentoring me. And then I become a pastor. So, so that was a little bit about me. I resigned last November, similar to Brett. Brett was actually the first person that I told that I turned in my resignation. Um, and I was like, hey, I think I'm just done. Like, I'm like, I'm not angry. I just, I need a break. And so I called my wife in the church parking lot and I said, I, th- I think it's, it's time. And she said, okay. I was like, oh, that's not what I expected. So it was like, okay, well, I've been selling real estate for a few years and you don't get paid unless you sell houses. I was like, but you know, God is faithful and um, I trust in him. He'll provide. I was like, that doesn't mean I don't have to work, but I was like, I, I trust in this. So this morning we're going to talk about God's faithfulness and how in turn we live a life of faith. So a couple stories about God's faithfulness with myself. So I'm a pretty avid hunter. So like, that is what I do. Like, it is my passion. <laughs> like, other than my kids and my wife, I love hunting. And I, um, I'm going to be up in Alaska for about 25 days this August and September. And I drew a once in 10 lifetime tags. And so I'm like, sweet, have my hunt planned out. And then about a month ago, I end up getting a hernia. And so I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, okay, God, you're faithful. Like, you are faithful. I trust you. So I go to the doctor, the hernia surgeon. He's, I'm like, do I have a hernia? And he's like, no. I'm like, sweet. He's like, you have two. And I'm like, oh, awesome. This is great. And I was like, how far are you booking out? Because I, have, I know it's a six-week recovery which means the last possible day I can have hernia surgery is July 7th. He's like, well, right now we're booking out for the middle of October. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be hard to pack out a muskox and a moose with stinking nothing holding my insides in. And he's like, well, we'll see what we can do. So I'm like, okay. And he's like, also, your insurance always denies hernia surgery, so you're going to have to pay cash. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay. So two weeks ago, I'm sitting down at SCP, writing my sermon on God's faithfulness. And I get this phone call, and I see it's the Bend Hernia Center, and the lady's like, Matt, what are you doing? And I'm like, writing a message on God's faithfulness. She's like, you're the luckiest person on this planet. And I'm like, why? She's like, your insurance approved your hernia surgery. And she's like, and also, this morning, someone canceled for July 7th. And I'm like... I'm like, well, I know what I'm doing. I'm writing a message on God's faithfulness right now. So I'm like, and I don't know if she's a believer or not, but I'm like, I'm unashamed. Like, I will tell you, like, God is faithful in just the little things. But, like, when we tell people God is faithful, I'm an information junkie. I want to know, like, show me evidence. Like, show me evidence. And this actually happened a few years ago. I was the throws coach at Redmond High School track team for nine years. And I had an athlete that I would always say, trust the process. How many coaches or people that you've been in athletics coach like, trust the process? I was, I was like to a T, like the worst. I'm like, just trust the process, trust the process. One of my athletes like, what is the process? And I'm like, great question. <laughs> I'm like, great question. So I'm like talking to the athletic director, and he's like, I want you to have every single practice mapped out rep for rep for the entire season. And he's like, that's how you tell your athletes to trust the process. He's like, give them the process. Like, show them the evidence. Like, this is where you are now. And if we complete this, this is where you can be. Rather than saying, trust the process. So 
when we say God is faithful, like if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you've ever read your Bible, you're like, yeah, I see it all over the place. But if you're not, where do we even go? So we've got a couple different terms for faith and faithful. So pistos and pistis are the Greek words. One letter difference, but it changes the declension of the word. Pistos is faithful. It's an adjective. It's a describer. Pistis is a noun or a pronoun, which is usually followed by a verb. Right? So when we say God is faithful, we are describing who he is. So if we go to one end or the other of your Bible, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Towards the front of your Bible, right? So it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So we're at the beginning of the Bible, a few books in, and we're talking about God's faithfulness. He's, this is Moses talking to the nation of Israel talking about, hey, God is faithful. He's going to bring you through what you're going through. Then we go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, all the way at the other end. It says, when I saw the heaven opened and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. If we continue going to 21.15 and 22.6, the exact same thing. The one who is faithful and true. Bookends, beginning and end. We're talking about God's faithfulness. So, where is God faithful? He's faithful to his name. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. He is who he is. If we go to Genesis, I am. He is who he is. If we continue on to Deuteronomy 7, 9, he's faithful in his promises. How many prophecies, Old Testament, New Testament, have come true? So if I just say trust the process, you're like, what process am I trusting? Well, we're trusting reliability. We're trusting repeatability. What God said he was going to do, he did. When Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't come, but I'm coming back. He's faithful in his promises. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 God's faithful when we're not. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit in 2 Timothy to read a few verses before. So Paul is writing to Timothy about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. In verse 10, he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ, Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy for, if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, what does he remain? Faithful. God's character doesn't change when we make poor decisions. He is still there. Just like my middle school youth pastor said, Matt, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Jesus wants a relationship with you, and he loves you. He's faithful to forgive in 1 John 1, 9. And this is like, I love this, this section of 1 John right here. 
Because here's the deal. How many of us have ever been like, I'm asking forgiveness for my sins, but I'm worried about the sins that I committed that I didn't ask forgiveness for? So 1 John, you've got 1-4 through 1-11, but 1 John 4-9, we're talking about sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins that I know that I commit, I need to ask some forgiveness for. Because he's faithful to forgive those. But I also need to know that God is faithful to forgive when I don't even realize what I've done. Right? Because it's in his character. Right here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And the sins that will cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and this world is not in us. God's faithful. He forgives us when we ask for forgiveness. But man, I, I'm thankful that he forgives us in the stuff that I don't even realize I did. The off-putting remark that I might make to someone at the store that I don't even realize that I said it the way I did. Or the quick judgment that I see of someone I just quick to judge and I don't even realize that I sinned against them. I wasn't giving them life. I wasn't giving them Jesus. He's faithful in temptation, and I'm thankful for this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may not endure it, or that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. So instead of just saying, trust the process, we're saying God is faithful. He's faithful in his promises. He's faithful when we are not. He's faithful to forgive. Then lastly, he's faithful in salvation. Right? This one's not up there, this verse, but Acts 4.12. There's no other name among heaven that man will have salvation. This word in Greek, soterion, means to save. And here's a beautiful thing about to save. So often in church we say, yeah, I'm saved. From what? From what? We just pigeonhole saved from I'm saved from hell. I'll tell you what, God has saved me from financial hardship. God has saved me from physical hardship. God has saved me from relational hardship. When we start looking at soterion to save, God saves us from so much more than just hell. On a daily basis, God can save us from our circumstances. So when he is faithful over and over, how do we respond? So Hebrews 10.23 is where we start going with this. I don't know if Dylan has it up, but he will. (laughs) My man. That's 22, sir. It's okay. So, and this is where I think it's so important. Michael called me. He's like, what do you talk about? And I'm like, community is super important to me. Um... Because when I went to Bible college, one of the teachers, he said, hey, here's the deal. I will recognize you guys at an airport someday. His name's Ed Underwood. He was a retired lieutenant colonel, hot shot, got a doctor of ministry. He's like everything that I wish I was in a man. I'm like, loves Jesus with all his heart. And I'm like, oh, you're also a lieutenant colonel? Well, that's cool. You're also a hot shot, like firefighter? Like, that's cool. But just embodied what a Christian man was. And he said, I will ask you two questions. Are you growing and are you planted? He said, when you leave here, you need to go find somewhere and get planted in that church. 
And he said, grow where you're planted. He said, I will ask you, are you serving? He's like, I probably won't even remember your name. I'll remember your face. And he said, you need a body of believers to grow with. So in Hebrews, this is verse, chapter 10, verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart, full and assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. Right here it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another with love and good works. Stir up the fellow bodies. The writer of Hebrews knew that we can't do this on our own. We have to have a body with us. And let us stir up or, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Does anyone know what's significant about Canton, Ohio? Football Hall of Fame. Does anyone know where, what Cooperstown is famous for? Baseball Hall of Fame, right? So does anyone know what Hebrews chapter 11 is famous for? The Bible's Hall of Fame, right? It is. Hebrews chapter 11 is totally the Bible's Hall of Fame. So, right here, we know that God is faithful. We have given them the idea. Like these, my athlete that said, trust the process. What is the process? We should know that, like, hey, here's just a handful of verses that shows that God is faithful. We could go on for series after series after series after series about how God is faithful. But now what do we do with it? Remember, there's an adjective that says God is faithful. And now we have the noun and pronoun that's followed by something else. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their condemnation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The conviction that things are, that are not seen, right? It's faith. I'm believing in something that I can't see. And this is where the hall of fame they have two things in common. They waited in faith and they worked in faith. Right? Faith is not just a complacent faith. Faith is not just sitting there and hoping that something will happen. I can't just sit there and say, God is faithful. He's going to do it and completely neglect anything on my behalf. So we start going through the Hall of Fame in the Bible. Verse 4 says, By faith... Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was condemned as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And though by faith, but though by his faith, or through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel offered. Offering is a verb. By faith, Enoch was taken. Taken is a verb. Up so that he should not see death. He was found, not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken was commended as having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that his reward will those who seek him. I'm not going to read all this, but I'm just going to give you an idea. By faith Noah constructed the ark. By faith Abraham obeyed. By faith he went up to the promised land. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. It's a waiting. These promises took a long time. 
Noah, by faith, waited for the flood to come. But while he was waiting, he was also working. Right? Faith is not just, God's got it. Verse 70, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked a future blessing on Jacob. By faith, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning the bones. He keeps going. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. His parents had faith. We've got to have faith as a body. It's not my faith or Michael's faith or Billy's faith, just ours. We have to have faith as a body that what we are doing is going to unite us. He keeps going, the writer of Hebrews, choosing rather to be mistreated. So he chose, so it's a verb. By faith he left, leaving, verb. By faith he kept the Passover, verb. Faith works. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea, another verb. So faith does stuff. That's what these people who made it to Hebrews chapter 11, they all did things with their faith. He continues going to the writer of Hebrews in verse 32, chapter 11. It says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell Gideon, Barak, Samson, another name I can't pronounce, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again at a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even the chains of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, They went about the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering out in deserts and mountains, in the dens of caves and the earth. These people who were doing a life with faith, it was rough. It was rough. I remember when I was in paramedic school, thinking, I'm like, life is so stinking good, not following Jesus at all, doing whatever I wanted. I was like, you know what? Here was my plan. 21-year-old Matt. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do until I'm about 55. Get old. I'm not joking. Then I'll start following Jesus again. But like 20 to 55, those prime years, I'm going to do me. And Jesus had another idea. The people were like, how is following Jesus? I'm like, this is hard. Like, failure is often. And it's difficult. But it was so worth it because I get to see God's character day in and day out. Verse 39 says, and all these though condemned through their faith did not perceive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. God is faithful. And every one of these stories where people acted out their faith, waiting for the thing that God said was going to happen to happen, they worked for it. Now, our salvation doesn't come through works. That's made evident over and over in Scripture. Our salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. When God says something, we've got to step up. So here it goes. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, if we ever see therefore in the Bible, what question do we have to ask? Yeah, what's the therefore, therefore? 
Yeah. That's what we have to do. That's hermeneutics 101. What's the therefore, therefore? It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the witnesses? Chapter 11. Yeah. The Hall of Fame. Those are the witnesses. Since we're surrounded by all those people, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the races set before us. So I was a track coach. I was obviously not the long distance coach. But I know slow running, right? So we have to run with endurance. And the best way to run with endurance for a long period of time is with someone else. I want someone else out there who's a little bit faster. I want someone else out there who's in a little bit better shape. Someone else out there who can teach me something. So I would encourage all of us, myself included, find that mentor. Find that person who can disciple you. And then in turn, disciples end up discipling other people. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. God is faithful. But it doesn't stop there. The people who made it in Hebrews chapter 11 lived a life full of faith. So, I'm going to tell a little story about probably, I'd say my second favorite character in the Bible, and it's Peter. I always thought Peter was super weird until I realized I was more like him than I want to admit. And so Peter was an emotional train wreck all over the place when Jesus was on the scene, right? He's like, I'll get out of the boat. And then he's like, I'll chop a dude's ear off with a sword. I will do crazy things for Jesus. And then he ends up denying Jesus. He ends up, Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. But he was mentored. And then when the rubber had to meet the road, in Acts chapter 3, actually Acts chapter 2, he delivers the biggest sermon in all of Scripture, other than the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon at Pentecost. And so Peter was living this life of faith. He was waiting and working. What was he waiting for? Jesus to come back. Jesus said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, like, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to come back, though. So Peter delivers a huge sermon. People start coming to Jesus like crazy. And then Peter starts his ministry, like his true ministry. So in Acts chapter 3, Dylan can go there. It's my favorite story in the whole Bible. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called Beautiful, to ask alms for those entering the temple. See, Peter and John were about to go into the temple. He asked to receive alms. And Peter directed a gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. So the guy essentially, legs didn't work, and they would take him to the temple every day. Hey, I need some money, please. And Peter and John, like I love the, how crass Peter is throughout all of Scripture, just a normal dude. He's like, look at me. I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he took him by his right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him who sat at the beautiful 
beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, they were filled with wonder and amazement to what had happened to him. So Peter was waiting for stuff to happen, right? Peter's waiting for an opportunity to show his faith, to work his faith. And here's the cool thing about the man who gets healed. How, I'm guilty of this too. Someone called me out with this one time. And she said, Matt, I understand you have this great faith. Will you be thankful when God answers the prayer, when God proves himself faithful? What's this guy do? He gets up, leaps for joy, runs into the temple and says, thank you, God. You're faithful. So Peter and John end up getting thrown in jail. They get arrested for doing this work. And they're in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is about 70 Jewish priests, leaders, and they're getting questioned. This is verse, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And they were speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrest them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all were the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you that the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. Like, mic drop moment. Like, Peter's like, it was Jesus. It was just Jesus. This Jesus is the cornerstone that was rejected by you. The builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. By which you must be saved. Remember that word soterion? They're not talking right here about an eternal salvation. They're talking this man was saved from being crippled. Jesus saves. Obviously, he saves us for an eternity with him. He saves us from our sin. But Peter said, there is no other name by which man can be saved. Now, here's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Acts 4.13. It says, now when they perceived the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Common, uneducated, ordinary men that had been with Jesus. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 11, common, uneducated, ordinary men and women that had been with Jesus. What do people who have been with Jesus want to do? They want to be with Jesus more, right? Once you have tasted God's faithfulness, once you have understood that God saves, once you have understood that he loves you, an unconditional love, you want to be with him more. It says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. They're like, oh, he's walking, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with another man saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
and we cannot deny it. Unless you just can't deny it. It's like, hey, we're scheduling surgeries in October, and also you're going to have to pay cash for this. And it's like, oh, two weeks later, I'm like, sweet, I have surgery on Thursday. So, like, God is faithful. I can't deny that. It's not like, oh, it was a fluke. Like, no. He says, but in order that it will spread no further among people, let us warn them to speak no more no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak what we have seen and heard. I have to talk about Jesus. One of my mentors, James Dick, I, I know there's some people in here that knew James, like, amazing human being. He's with Jesus now. But he said, Matt, let me tell you something. He said, because I was like, I don't want to be a pastor. He's like, no one wants to be a pastor. He's like, if people do want to be a pastor, run. He's like, <laughs> he's like no one wants to be a pastor. And um, he said, here's the deal. James did vocational ministry for 26 years. He said, whether I was preaching in a church or pumping gas at a gas station or working on a construction site, he said, I would be a pastor. He said, that's who God made me. He said, I have to tell people about Jesus. That's what it is. Peter and John said, I have to speak of what I've heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish him because what the people were all praising God for what had happened. For the man whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So God is faithful. But we have to walk a walk of faith. Sometimes that's waiting. Sometimes that's working. Sometimes it looks like there's no hope. But we have to believe that God is faithful and I will continue doing faith in the little things. I'm not going to sit there hoping that it's going to fix itself. Because God will provide. So, we need community. A community of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, if we look at all of them, they were community creators. Every single person in Hebrews chapter 11 created community around them. It's one of the reasons why they're in the hall of faith. If we look at who God is beginning to end, he's faithful. Proves it over and over. And then for us, I urge you, live a life of faith. Move with it. It's a verb. We got to do it. So thank you so much for letting me come to you on this 4th of July weekend. And uh, I'll pray. And then you guys have a great holiday. God, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray that um, you would just prove yourself faithful to each and every one of us, God. And when we are doubting, that we would open our Bibles and remind ourselves that you have proven over and over and over that we can trust the process. God, we can't wait for your return. We know that that is coming. We love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you.